This is Comic Picks by the Glick. Hey, and I'm your host, Jason Glick. Good afternoon, evening, good morning, whatever, Jason Glick. How are you doing? I'm doing just fine, John. And yourself? Oh, not half bad. Not half bad. Uh, just We just got through, um, you know, the dog days of August, and, you know, here we are. So, hey, you know, while there's lots of podcasts out there and other things that are kind of like, you know, news is a little dried up on things. <laughs> we always have something to talk about, don't we? Yes, depends on um, how how hard I had to dra- have to drag it out of my out of my mind and my library in order to talk about. <laughs> and what do you have for us tonight, sir? Okay, well, this tonight I've got something that I've that I've been reading for many good many years, but I've just been holding off on because um, I wanted to. Um, I was because I'm you know I'm a hardcore trade waiter most of the time, and I was just convinced that you know if I waited long enough, then they'd release um. The, this the um like the three issues that comprise the third volume of this series um in one like in one hardcover i'm talking of course of the um th- the three the three issues that um, comprise a third volume of alan moore and kevin o'neill's league of extraordinary gentlemen now now these um that was an interesting choice for them to uh you know do it do it this way considering the uh, previous series had had been done in six issue miniseries through dc wildstorm and um but you know that had um it's like those like those days are long gone, and now um, Moore and O'Neill are publishing their series through um, through their own um, imprint, Knockabout, um, in conjunction with Top Shelf. Now, this is um, you know getting ahead of myself, but let's talk. Let's go back to like what the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen is. Um, back in the uh, days that we call like the early aughts, or is it the uh, late nineties, early late nineties, early nineties? Yeah, late nineties. Um, Alan, let's see, Alan Moore um, um, signed a deal with um, with um, Jim Lee's Wildstorm um, imprint to do a whole bunch whole bunch of comics. Um, some of them and um, all of them were generally really good. We got um, Top Ten, which was his um, superheroes as um, TV cop show um, that was ser- um, series out out of it, which is a ton of which is a ton of fun and highly recommended um, for for um, anyone who's in. Who, um, who's a fan of more or just you know, the cop show genre? I guess we got his yeah Promethea, which was his um, exploration of take of, of magic and superheroes in the modern world. Um, Tom Strong, which is his like his efforts to um, update the um, the pulp hero archetype that um, he eventually handed over to lots of other creators such as um, Brian Vaughn and like, and Ed Brubaker, and um, he also did lots of other it's like a lot of other. Um, like series such as such as Gray Shirt and Terra Incognita, but the one series that everyone really loved, and the one was on the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, which had a um, ingenious premise, which was what if all of the um, like all like all the famous um, heroes from um, late from nineteenth century literature teamed up to basically form their own like not necessarily really like a superhero group, but just basically a team in order to combat threats. Um, larger than life. So, in the series, we've got so basically the series had um, Mina Murray, um, formerly known as Mina Harker, as in Jonathan Harker of um, Dracula fame, um, t- um, leading a group that consisted of um, British adventurer Alan Quatermain, um, Captain Nemo um, from Jules Verne's novels, um, H.G. Wells, the Invisible Man, and and Robert Louis Stevenson's. Um, like Henry Jekyll, who also has his own, 
It also, ha- it also has to contend with the personality of Edward Hyde, it's like as well, who turns out to be the series' breakout character like as, as things go on. Now, the series starts out with her, with, um, with me in the recruiting um, quarterman who's become a, uh, like an op- opium, opium addict and just fallen on hard times as, he's, as, as age has not, been, has not been kind to him. But then, but then um, you ha- um, things shift to her. It's like, you know, recruit, it's like recruiting um, Jekyll and Hyde and then, um, then um, like getting her orders from, from, from British, from the, uh, from Britain's um, uh, intel, the intelligence agents who works with Britain, um, Kempy and Bond. And yes, um, the Bond um, surname is intentional here as um, he basically tasks her with, um, with, um, with recovering the um, anti-gravity material Carverite um, from the, uh, from the, from a uh, Chinese from a Chinese gangster living in the Limehouse um, section of England. This Chinese gangster being um, none other than Fu Manchu, and um, it's like and it's and um, it's like and the uh, the 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 team grows through their their growing pains. I mean, Mina is very very strong-willed and not willing to brook any any insubordination, but she also has to deal with the fact that you know a lot of these other characters just um, rev- like view her um, her stat her. The fact that she's a woman is kind of as just kind of a, uh, you know, hey, it's like she's, you know, hey, she's a woman. Why, why should we even bother listening to her? But um, and Quatermain has to deal with the fact that you know he's been out of the game for years, k- trying to kick a drug drug habit as well. And Nemo, well, he's, um, it's like, well, he's just um, in this because he wants one more adventure, even though he's um, nearing, he's like he really does not play well with others, and also um, well. Um, Henry Jekyll is just a. Uh, like he realizes he's made a very bad mistake with um, the whole um, you know um, potion that, tur- that um, unleashed his uh, his alternate persona. Um, Hyde is just kind of like you know, hey, I'm just I'm just in this just to see how many people I can kill along the way. And then you got the, the Invisible Man, who um, he's just kind of like like well, they meet they they catch the Invisible Man when he's. When he's pretending to be the Holy Spirit, and um, vi- making many visitations amongst women, uh, amongst these girls in a, uh, it's like, it's like in a gr- in a in an all girls boarding school to um you know infuse them with the Holy, like with his version of the Holy Spirit. So so he's kind of so he's he's a pervert. He's also kind he's also um kind of a psychopath as well, in the sense that he'll t- he'll tend to kill anyone just you know, just because he thinks he can get away with it. Cause no one can see what he's doing. And um, and Amore does a, and Amore just does a really good job of of um of, a, of flush, not only fleshing out their characters but making but making the whole um team um feel incredibly incredibly plausible as well. I mean, it's like it just I mean more than just um a uh, a clever high concept. Um, the the first one of the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen really works as a uh, it's like it's a as a cohesive story just as um. If, as a group of British intelli- as a group of British intelligence officers trying to stop trying to stop a a, the, a, a perceived threat, but then finding out that the um, great the, the um, bigger threat they is um, um comes from within. It's like it's it's a it's a, a really it's a well done story first and collection of um a literary references second, and that's and that's what made and I think that's what made it, made it work over the what really made it work and what what why everyone really um. It's like I'm, I'm caught caught onto it when it came, when it came out. It's like, as some as um some people 
noted, yeah, it's all those people you read about in high school, and um, we're just kind of we're just kind of like thoroughly impressed with. But um, more um, just as a um, fantastic job of um, it's like of giving giving them life beyond um, their original stories. And um, Kevin O'Neill, um, his art is just really just so amazingly intricate. And even though like his like um, his characters just do have this kind of like odd stylized look to them. I think it works for the um, like like for the era for the era that this is this is taking place in, and all of the um, weirdness that the, that the um, that, that the their adventures entail. It's like and I, it's like um, others. It's like others may have not have gotten to it, but I think that um, O'Neill's work is fantastic. And the first volume, absolutely worth your money. As is the second. And to be honest. Um, the uh, second volume really follows in the uh, really um, illustrates some illustrates a uh, uh, concept that I feel is really key when you're um, when you're trying to build a franchise out of anything, and that that is you know if you're going to want to make make a franchise from anything, you need to make sure the second thing is even better than the first. See also um, like Star Wars: Empire Strikes Back, Spider-Man Two. See, um, X Men, X Men, um, X Men United, and um, yeah, these are all like you know movies and ev- and everything. But also, I guess you also point to Assassin's Creed too as well. So there, so there you go. Just if you want to make a franchise that's going to like be a multi multi million dollar um, effort, make sure the second volume is better than the first because that's what the uh, second volume of the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen is. It is the best out of all the series that I'll be talking about here, and um. Because it has the, uh, in, it starts off in a really weird and esoteric fashion with um, a guy taking a magic carpet ride on on Mars, and um, just and then you find out that he's a descendant of um, is he a descendant or is he just um, Gullav- um, Lemuel Gullivar um, turned immortal, meeting up with John Carter of um, Edgar Rice's Bur- Edgar Rice Burroughs um, Mars novels as they um, take on the um, like the Martians, it's like on, it's like that that have been handing them on Mars, and so, and then, but then um, as as they're successful, then they have, then we find out the um, Martians have basically been working to evacuate themselves to Earth, and that leads them to take on um, like um, mean, like Mina's group of extraordinary gentlemen, and um, and things just get um, really bad and really vicious from there as the Martians prove prove themselves more than a match for anything that um, Victorian England is able to throw at them. And also they're, they're able aid, aided and abetted by their own, by the treachery of one of the um, extraordinary gentlemen themselves. But um, see, but the series itself does, does a great job of, of upping the stakes, upping the danger, um, throwing lots of new, new interesting twists to the characters themselves. I mean, um, Edward Hyde, I mean, yeah, he was a, a great, um, he was like a, great rampaging id um, persona in the first volume, but here he learns a, a certain amount of restraint in here as he, um, as he re- not that he realizes, something he realizes the value of civilization, but as he um, develops a relationship with Mina, he realizes that, you know, hey, I have, that, you know, as he puts it to her, it's like, you know, I can't kill you because if I, if I did, I would kill the um, only person in the world who, who, who did not hate me. And um, it's like, and it's through that that he's able to to conform in his own special and unique way to civilization, but all, and also just you know, 
but also to um, visit his own brand of vengeance upon those who, on the one person who does who does mean a wrong. It's like in the course of the course of the volume, and also the um, um more like he he also throws in more interesting um references. I mean, yes, I talked about you know it. Um, Edgar Rice Burroughs connection, but, but the uh, Martians are straight out of H.G. Wells' The War of the Worlds. And it turns out that their main salvation is going to lie in, in not in not just anyone's hands, but those of, doc, of um, Dr. Moreau of the famous island. And because it turns out that he doesn't just do hybrids of, human, of humans and animals, he does um, hybrids of other things as well, which turn... Which, which um, are also um, quite key to the um, defeat of the Martians as well, and um, that and it, just the way that um, this, all of this uh, makes perfect sense, the way Moore um, puts it together, and O'Neill's work is just even more um, detailed and fantastic. That um, it's that this stands as the high point of the vol- of the entire of the series. I mean, really, of all the series I'm talking, of all the uh, instances of the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen that I'm talking about here. The first two volumes are the ones that everyone should have in their library. No questions. You can't argue with this. They are that good. Because the thing is, after that, um, then after that, things get a little weird because um, probably realizing that, you know, hey, you know, I, I've really hit on something, something really good here. What can I do to take this series to the next level? Well, more... Um, well, apparently more realized thinks about okay. The way I look at it, or the way I see it from these to these volumes, more apparently has decided that you know the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen isn't just a playground for you know like the heroes of nineteenth century literature to come together. It's a uh, it's a playground for on um, the heroes, heroes and villains of all fiction to come together. And we first see the stirrings of that in the um in the uh, League of Extraordinary Gentlemen um, Black Dossier, which was the uh, final volume of the series to be um, produced through the um, Moore's deal with Wildstorm in DC. And it involves a... Um, and it basically sets the uh, template for the... Uh, like, for the uh, series as, like, its past, present, and future. Because not only does it um, fill in some of the, um, from the gaps from the, from the series history, it's just telling us how, like, how Mina uh, Murray... Um, Managed to convince Nemo to um to get to um join their to join their group, but also um you know how she and let's see how she and um Alan Quatermain apparently became immortal because the uh, versions of them we see here are quite different from what we uh what we see here. But that's that's not all because we also see versions of James Bond, um see um Emma Emma Peel from the Avengers. Harry Lime, um, Orson Welles' immortal villain from The Third Man, and um, it's like and the racist caricature on um, Gollywog as, as well. I mean, it's... I mean, the thing is... Here's the thing. Here's the thing that I have an issue with, is that if you paid attention in high school and even college um, English, then you're going to get first all the references that, that are ta- being talked about in, um, in the first two volumes of The Extraordinary, League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. Then you start moving on to the Black Dossier, and then you're going to want to start um, hitting the uh, hitting up um, Jess Nevin's um, utterly indispensable annotations for this series. Just go online, just school just Jess Nevin's um, League of Historian Gentlemen and annotations online, and um, and you'll find them because they are 
almost really necessary to understanding all the stuff that goes on in the Black Dossier. Of course, the other thing working against the Black Dossier is that it's not technically a uh, proper proper story in the uh, League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. It basically concerns um, Mina and Allen's efforts to get the titular document um, out of Brit- the hands of British intelligence and um, it's like and into the um, the hands of um, Prospero, um, yes, Prospero of um, Shakespeare, of Shakespeare, Shakespearean fame. In it's like and and um, but also between that, it in between their their adventures, it also um, has lots of extended text. It's like um, text um, text interludes, pro, um, illustrated illustrated text with um, O'Neill providing the illustrations as always. And I'm just, you know, further um, illustrating the world as well. I mean, we get a, a hidden, like a lost um, folio of a Shakespearean play. We've got the um, life of um, Virginia Woolf's um, immortal gender-swapping Orlando. It's like, like in, done in the story of a um, British um, boy's own story. Um, the uh, new adventures of, it's like new adventures of Fanny, of Fanny Hill, and all, all sorts of like just, it's like all sorts of just really weird it's like weird and esoteric stuff i mean it's like and all these also serve to um break up the uh the main narrative as things go go on so it's kind of like you're getting involved in the comics and then there's this giant like um block of text and all i mean more um apparently view this as kind of like a source book for the series and yeah it works on that terms but um like i said it's there's a lot of stuff you're going to sweat through that you know, it does kind of feel like Moore is leading you around by the nose for a good portion of it, kind of like what he did in um, From Hell. Um, ultimately, though, in From Hell, that, that turned out to be worthwhile, and that does turn out to be worth worth it to a certain extent, um, especially once um, once you get to Volume Three, Century. Now, Century was a very ambitious um, project because it's because instead of doing um, like a standard six issue series like they did with the first two volumes, Moore and O'Neill did three um, extra extra sized um, issues that took place in um, in three in three different time periods: um, 1910, 1969, and 2009. Now, the thing is, now um, overall, I did I did like. Um, this third volume, but um, at the same, but at the same time, I'm glad I um, had to read this twice in order to really, for all the, uh, uh, for all of its um, stuff to sink in, because I mean, and also just to really illustrate to you just like how far, um, how far astray we've gone since the first volume. Um, the main villain in this series is Oliver Hutto. Now I realize you know previously people are like. People who listen to this are going Oliver. Who? Well, it turns out that um, Oliver Hotto is a um, is the main character of a um, is basically a thinly veiled caricature of um, noted um, it's like noted um, magician um, Alistair Crowley,er and he's it's like and so he's just so you've got kind of like the league versus um, Alistair Crowley, and um, it's and his plan to just. To um institute a to um give birth to the Antichrist, it's like and usher in a new new age. Now, three the way the three volume three stories here works is that the first volume um does have a um does continue the feel of the uh, first two. Let's see the first two um volumes since it's still that we're about ten years out from the event or about twelve years out from the first from the events of the uh, of volume two, and um, Mina is 
it's like it's, it's still trying to like um, hold on to like, the um, the idea of a um, group of extra- people of extraordinary individuals trying to um, combat threats longer, larger than themselves. Problem is that time has moved on, and um, the concept um, doesn't like. And as new new threats arise, like the concept doesn't like, doesn't quite hold up as well as it, well as it used to. So even if you got like got like um, people like Orlando, who um, in his male form had male and female forms, he's an extraordinary fighter, but he's also like a phenomenal lech and um, irredeemably shallow in a lot of other respects. Then you've also got um, the, the master thief AJ Raffles and um, playing clairvoyant um, Thomas Karnacki, um, they wind up actually more contributing to um, Haddo's scheme more than more than anything else. And so, and even though it's clever to observe all the uh, all the little references, uh, once I had gone online and um, let's see, and um, puzzled them out, it's like it's it's. Um, then you get to the um, second volume, which is takes the see, takes the series into the sixties. And um, you got all sort, and then you have them, but then you have them mixing with um, you know analogs for like Mick Jagger, then um, and you also got a Michael Caine's character, um, Carter from the film Get Carter, and all, let's see, and other um, like another weird weirdness. Then you realize that you know this what Moore is going for here is that he's trying to create a um, like a world that is based on where that um, that where all fiction can coexist together. And then this, and it, on one hand, it's like, you could just say, that, yeah, it's a sophisticated way of saying fan fiction, but the execution though is um, like, is still um, far more, far more sophisticated than that in the sense that even though like there's all this weirdness going on, um, Moore still knows how to tell a coherent story that, um, that um, still makes sense um, regardless. Regardless of other, regardless of things, I mean, like to be honest, like because I know that the series, that everything in the series is supposed to have a reference in the real world, that kind of that's kind of really maddening to me. Since I know, okay, what is this referring to? Like, who is this? Um, like, um, Turner, and why should I? And um, what is this analog to? Like, you know, the purple purple orchestra and what and whatnot. It's like I know that I know that it's a reference, but not knowing what it is is kind of maddening. If you had no idea about what this what this was, then um, you may actually be able to enjoy this series, uh, enjoy the volume three a lot lot more um, successfully than I than I did because it works pretty well as a um, nice cross generational um, struggle against the forces of darkness. And also, it's it's worth it's worth noting how um, and, and also in the final volume on uh, twenty ten when when uh, more starts working in even more modern references from from thirty rock. 24, um, the West Wing, like all all sorts of stuff, and, and Harry Potter, and um, and uh, Mary Poppins. I mean, it's wow. It's like it's. Let's just say that the audacity of of Moore's final conflict is like it's certainly um it's, it's certainly more certainly very amusing um to behold. It also reveals that um also reading these these volumes, um you get the feeling that Moore really doesn't like um a james bond and b harry potter because wow um bond um yeah i mean bond has his um has his issues but at the same time um for him to come into the kicking that he gets that that he gets in um black dossier and um it's like and um century especially the uh, 2010 version um it's like wow especially when you 
when you find out that the original um, Jimmy Bond is still being kept alive, um, kept alive um, at ninety, even though he's got like syphilis and all these other diseases, one has to wonder if Moore is just um, take if he just specifically has it in for um, Sean Connery, who starred in the um, reputedly awful um, film version of the original volume of the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. But anyway, it's like, like I said, even though it's like. Um, there's all these um, references and um, ref- references and that um, that, this, that you know, volume three is built on. It's like you can dr- you can be like me. You can drive yourself nuts trying to figure out everything, or you can just um, you know accept it and um, see and take it. Try and enjoy the story on its own terms, which you know all told is actually pretty good. I mean, I had had to read it twice in order to um, really get it. It's like I, but the fact that it actually did turn out to be worthwhile is um, is really welcome, as opposed to it being not. Anyway, to wrap things up here. Um, since um, let's see, well, um, volume, well, Century recently hit um, hardcover at, as of Comic Con. Um, um, before that, though, the um, last most two most recent um, editions of the League of Strange Gentlemen um, have focused on um, Jenny Nemo. The um, daughter of um, the daughter of the original um, Captain Nautilus, and her her adventures um, in Heart of Ice and Roses of Berlin. Heart of Ice is the better of the two, because it's actually a really creepy and trippy um, take on um, mythos of, um, uh, of of Lovecraft, as as Jenny um, decides in order to find a way to just, you know separate her um, better herself than her dad. She um, she decides to go to take, go undertake the same trip her dad did uh, many years ago up into into the Arctic, you know, Antarctic, and I'll find out what went wrong there. Like because because the dad her dad showed up, um, day, like weeks later, raving and mad on the ice, and you're going to wonder what happened there. And it's, it's a, what happens here is really goddamn creepy, and it also features um lots of um. Lots of cameos and appearances from other famous literary characters, from Charles Foster Kane to um, it's like to Tom to Tom Swift, and of course, there's a lot like a a full cr- and a crate full of um, references to um to Lovecraft's um, mythos. And once we get to um, when you get to the uh, the like that stuff, it's just like it's unnerving in ways that um I that um most comics don't do to me. Um, the uh, then their most recent um, foray, um, which came out earlier this year in Roses of Berlin, this is them a bit. This is um, more O'Neill just taking on um, you know German, like like, you know, like um, German cinema and and tropes of the uh, like the nineteen forty, like of the twentieth uh, century and all. And because you've got basically the uh, hit. Um, yeah, basically, Nazi Germany ruled by um, the great dictator himself, Charlie Chaplin. Yes, because if you familiar with um, Chaplin's um, seminal work, The Great Dictator, you've got that's 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 the version of of Hitler we've got here, Aldenoid Hinkle, and it's and they do a good job of like of um of matching his um, body language and expressions to like um like to the great great tramps himself, and uh, basically. Main story has um, Jenny and her and her husband, Broad Arrow Jack, um, get, um, going into a uh, like 
staging a rescue attempt of their like of their daughter into um it's like into um, Hinkle's Germany, which is turned turns out to be like a metropolis. It's like in the it's like in the version of um it's like of the of the film it's like of the film of the same name. It's like I can't remember was that that Fritz Lang yeah Fritz Lang's Metropolis, and um it's like and also like, lots of yet yeah, lot yeah, also like other famous um cinema figure figures like Doctor Mabusay and Doctor Doctor Caligari, and um it's. And it's like I said, it's it's a um, fairly, it works as a fairly straightforward adventure, even though it, it lacks the uh, esoteric creepiness that made um, made Heart of Ice really memorable. It's it's more straightforward, and um, yeah, it works pretty well. It works pretty well on its on its own terms. Said even even if it doesn't have like you know quite the resonance of the previous volumes, still a good read. And um, overall, it's like I mean, all of the uh, volumes are it's like it's like are entertaining reads. But um, beyond the first two, um, everything after that just kind of depends on how how much you're willing to either um, interact with all the references that make up this um, world of extraordinary gentlemen, and uh, how much you're just willing to accept the uh, like the stories on their own terms. They work, like I said, they work on their own terms. But at the same time, though, there's a lot. Like there's a lot of other stuff to um, like 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 to take in along it's like along with the uh the ma- the story like the stories themselves, and uh, at the same time it can be frustrating just to, like because like, because um if you're aware of like what Moore is doing here, then you're just, then you're just gonna be like um feeling like you know what am I missing here what am I not getting, so that's so that's a, that's the main thing with this with the with these books, so like I like I said just to reiterate. Volumes one and two recommended for everyone. Um, everything after that um, just depends on how much how much you fell in love with those um, first two books that you want that you're willing to see more that you're willing to see more of them and fo- and um, follow and you're, fo- you're willing to follow more on O'Neill as they take the series. It's like in in some re- really really weird but still interesting compelling directions. John. Um, any in particular thoughts on your own end from these? Well, um, uh, just on your whole thing about, you know, Kim dumping on Bond, essentially. Yeah. <laughs> um, it, it's interesting because, you know, um, I don't know if he felt especially betrayed because, you know, Bond is a British. Well, let's, let's face it. James Bond is a superhero. I mean, like, he is not, he's not, okay, maybe he's more like Batman, okay, but where, where he's, you know, where he's a guy of normal means, but he, you know, he has lots of cool gadgets, right? But uh, maybe he felt especially betrayed by that, and that's why he picks on him. But if I'm not mistaken, uh, Alan Moore doesn't like any of the adaptations of any of his stuff uh, that are made into film. Is that not correct? That's true, but. I mean, the thing is, um, he's he's kind of justified since a lot of the, especially all of the all the adaptations that have been done of his works haven't really been that good in the first place. Yeah, you know, I mean, well, and and you know, he gets the, you know, and, and it's he he's famous for like for um for basically saying, oh all the money that I would get just give it to the artist instead. Yeah, yeah. So, 
Um, it's interesting. So, um, and then another thing that you're you're saying is, uh, you know, with uh, you know, I, on Amazon, I'm not. I swear to you, I'm not plugging Amazon. It's just where I buy shit. Um, <laughs> uh, they have the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen Omnibus um, that uh, looks like the recent publication date was last end of last year for 1896. Um, so that seems like a pretty de- good deal, and would at least include the first two volumes. Uh, nope. Wow, it's like that's. And it's paperback, of course. There is a there's a hardcover as well, but um, and but you're saying it's like, but there's other stories outside of that, you know, that would encompass some of the extra characters that you see, you know. Um. Yeah. Okay. This. Um. Just judging from the page count, mm-hmm. I'm assuming that this is a, a compilation of, of volumes one and two. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Look at just judging from the um, solicitation text that Amazon has. Yeah. This is um, this is a this is a soft cover edition of volume, volumes one and two. So there you go. There you go. Hey, you know, um, if you're interested in it, you know, like I said, I'm not plugging Amazon, but it's just a good place to get it from, fellas. So. Uh, and uh, you know what you're going to talk about next time, sir? <sighs> no, it's like I'm. I'm actually drawing a blank right now. I'll, That's all right. I'll, I'll, dra- I'll drag up something. Yeah, I'm sure like, you will. You usually do. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of kind of like the uh, requirements of this job here. Yeah, absolutely. All right, well, we're signing off. Uh, this is Combat Picks by the Glick. All right, everyone, take care. Bye. All right.